Father, familiarity does not always breed contempt. Sometimes it breeds complacency. And every year we celebrate this day, and we are in danger of growing complacent over the the rich splendor of the news which is proclaimed this day. We're tempted to show up and think, oh, that's nice, that's quaint. Help us to see how important this is for ourselves and for our world. I ask that you'd send your spirit to soften our hearts that have been hardened by the hubbub, the the rushing to and fro, the buying and receiving of gifts, the football, good things, but not where life is found. So direct us to that place where life is, in Christ's name, amen. Well, those of you who haven't been tracking with us, what we're sort of doing is uh, following songs for the Savior, and we have the angels song tonight, and being a strange person like myself, what I tend to do is think of a sometimes popular song uh, that kind of ties in with what's going on uh, within the text of the scripture, and, uh, and tonight it's you too. See, it took me this long to get to you too. And uh, the song came, comes off their album, released in 2001, I believe, um, All That You Can't Leave Behind. And it's the song, Peace on Earth. Makes sense, doesn't it? Except it's not a song of joy, it's more a song of lament. Bono has looked out at the world and he's, he's trying to reconcile what he sees with the gospel message that he believes. I'm not going to read the whole song, but here's part of it. Heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around. Sick of sorrow. I'm sick of the pain. I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Later on it says, Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history don't rhyme. So what it's worth, where's the peace on earth? Little did they know when they wrote that song that, in a a sense, it was about to get a whole lot worse. They could not know that in September of that year, shortly after they had begun their tour, that two planes would crash into the World Trade Center, that another plane would crash into the Pentagon, and yet a third would crash, thankfully, in the field in Pennsylvania. And so would begin another war, this time on terror. And so they're honest about what they see, and we have to be honest about what we see, but we also have to be honest about what the text says and what it doesn't say. So to the text we will go. The big idea is that God gets glory by giving peace to those he favors. We're going to look at this, you know, it's, it's a night service, only two points. Look at that. It's a discount, folks. Okay? It's going to be shorter. It's a homily. Okay? I shouldn't be going on too long. So as I look at this, I'm, I'm seeing first a declaration of what takes place, and then in response, there's a response to the declaration, what the, the shepherds do upon hearing this good news from the angels. 
Okay, so let's start with the declaration. The reality that God glorifies himself as Savior. The scene begins in the fields around Bethlehem. Now, that's relatively significant, not just for the fact that, well, the baby is in Bethlehem. Okay, that's significant because that is the city of David. That is where the Messiah was to be born. That's where it was prophesied. So that part is significant. But also, it is significant of why the shepherds are there. The fields between Jerusalem and Bethlehem were typically filled with the flocks that would be used for the sacrifices. They would raise the sheep nearby to Jerusalem so they didn't have very far to go to bring them into Jerusalem to the temple where they would be slaughtered for the sins of the people. So that's what these guys are doing out there. So that's it. That's kind of what they're doing, but who they are, shepherds. We tend to have this, and sometimes, a glorified view of shepherds. We think of Jesus, the good shepherd, and we think, ah, shepherds, good. But that was not the common, ordinary way that people looked at shepherds in that day and age. Though these men would raise the sheep that were used for sacrifices, shepherds were considered to be unclean because of the very nature of their job. While they raised the sheep for sacrifices, they themselves could not enter into the temple to bring a sacrifice. They were unclean, impure, not ready to come into God's presence into worship. Not only were they religiously or ceremonially unclean, but they often had a reputation of being a little unsavory, shall we say. One commentator notes that they they seem to have... um, lived by the phrase, what's thine is mine. They were known to sometimes be thieves, to kind of take what they wanted as they went along. Okay, So they were not men of good character, typically. There were exceptions. David, uh, Joseph, back in Genesis, who we'll be getting to soon. But for the by and large, most of them were not people you would trust with your stuff. Okay? I'm going to have someone house-sitting for me for a while. A shepherd is not a person I would ordinarily invite into my home to watch it and make sure everything is safe and everything is sound. The reputation was so bad that they were considered unfit witnesses for a case. They could not offer testimony at the city gates regarding any sort of crime that had been committed. Their word was not trusted. And yet God's messenger shows up to these guys. See, it's it's inconceivable in some ways. Luke, knowing all of this, why would he make up a story where angels show up to shepherds? This is a theme that goes through Luke because the first witnesses to the resurrection, who are they? women. And a woman's testimony was not allowed in court. So what is going on is that God is not kind of overturning some of the social conventions of the day. He's really sending the angels not to the courts, but to the people who need to hear, the people who will listen to this message. But who shows up? An angel. Sometimes we're very prone to think of them in very baby-like form, like little kids with wings. Okay, 
But we see from what's going to happen is that, is that I think the Jesus Storybook Bible translates this idea very well. A warrior of light. This person, uh, this, this being is powerful and it conveys that. It is majestic and it instills fear into the shepherds. These are men who are used to fighting wild animals to save their flock and there's lots of them. Okay, they've kind of gathered together to kind of probably keep warm, talk about things at night, relax a little bit while the sheep sleep, and here comes this angel, and all of them are afraid. One angel, who knows how many shepherds, and they are af- they are afraid. The angel has to say, "Do not be afraid." He has to tell them, "I'm coming with good news, not bad news." This message that the angel says, is for all people. It's not just good people. It's not just religious people. In fact, it was not just for Jewish people. He declares that something significant has happened. And the first thing that he declares that has happened is that a Savior has been born. A deliverer has been born. God tells them that someone has been born who is going to set people free. That only sounds good if you know you're enslaved. Doesn't it? We don't, we're, we're sort of like, yeah. In some ways, we're like the ancient Israelites. Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus is having a disputation with the Pharisees, and he reminds them that they are slaves, and they go, we're not slaves, we're sons of Abraham. He goes, no, your father is the devil. They were enslaved to sin, though they did not recognize it. Okay, and so in order for the message to be significant to us, we have to recognize the fact that we need to be delivered. They didn't just need to be delivered from Rome, they needed to be delivered from God's wrath. And that's probably why the shepherds were afraid. They thought the wrath had come. But this child that is born is a Savior. More than that, He is Messiah, Christ, the long-awaited, anointed one, has been born, the one who is the prophet, who will speak to them from God, the one who is the priest, who will offer Himself to God for them and will pray for them, and the King who will rule over them. The three offices that are found in the Old Testament that were, that all of them, you enter that office by the anointing with oil to represent the anointing with the Holy Spirit. So this one person is coming who is all three of these wrapped up in one person. Messiah is coming. They've heard about this. They've probably maybe hung out and heard in the synagogue. They've heard people talking about it. People, the longing of the day was for Messiah to come and he's, the angel tells them, he is here. Let's note, though, their anticipation was that the Messiah was a man, a mediator, 
who would stand between God and man to reconcile the two parties. Paul writes of this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The humanity of Jesus is on display with the idea that He is Messiah. But He's not only Messiah, He is the Lord. Christ the Lord is what the angel says. Now Luke, up to this point in the Gospel, has used this word 20 times. Each time it is used in reference to God. This time is no different. It's not like he suddenly changes how he's using this term. Well, now I'll willy-nilly refer this to a man. He's talking about the Messiah who is man is also the Lord who is God. Kyrios in Greek is the, the typical way in which Yahweh in Hebrew was translated. And so he's communicating very sophisticated theology about the incarnation that this person that has been born is the God-man. Fully God, fully man. Because he's going to mediate precisely between these two parties. He's speaking this advanced theology to very unsophisticated people. That would be, this would sort of be like showing up at one of the farms around here and hanging out with the migrant workers and trying to instruct them on the Trinity. Okay? It's not probably your best choice of audience in that particular case. But we recognize through this that what matters first is faith, then understanding. Okay? That was one of the, uh, Augustine said this, and Anselm also picked up on this idea, faith seeking understanding, believing the testimony of God, and then seeking to understand what that testimony means to its fullest degree. Not being ignorant and just blind in your faith, but what does it mean? And then something else happens. The one angel is now joined by the host or army of angels. And you'd think for a moment that they are about to proclaim war because when an army shows up on your doorstep, it's usually not a good idea, a good thing, right? No one's excited when they see armed men outside their door. I know I'm not, okay? So the, arm, the, the angels of God, these warriors of light, appear and they, decl- they sing a song that is very short. But part of it, it starts off with glory to God in the highest. God is about to manifest his perfections through his actions. He's going to get glory through everything that is about to happen and has already started to happen in this little town of Bethlehem. He is going to reveal his perfection, his character, his worth, his glory. The shepherds need to know that God is about to reveal his glory because we would never understand the birth of Jesus 
if God did not interpret it for us. That's a lot of what is happening in the New Testament. It is the interpretation of that event in giving us the implications for us who believe in that event. Because if it's just a baby born, and we don't know who he is, it's just another baby. But it's not like my children. So God reveals to us the meaning of this particular child that we might believe all of this. And then, glory to God in the highest and peace. The shalom that was shattered by sin back in the garden in Genesis 3 is about to be restored by this child that has been born in a stable in the little town, the lowly town of Bethlehem. Peace. He's going to initiate peace on earth. He's going to start the process of peace on earth, restoring this idea of shalom, this idea of wholeness, this uh, this idea of, of being uh, reconciled with other people. They're not being conflict uh, on its numerous levels. He's going to initiate this. And he initiates, he's going to initiate this by being the sacrifice that is due for sin. He is going to stand, so to speak, before the armies of God and take the hit so that his people cannot, will not experience the wrath of God, but the delight of God. He's going to suffer for his people so that they will experience the blessing instead of the curse that they earned. He himself, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, is our peace. Now, this peace on earth, as I said, is initiated there, but it's not fully, it's not complete. You know, it's, it's primarily at this point in time, this way. Because we can look in the world and we can see lots of conflict this way, don't we? I mean, you don't even have to look at the newspaper. You don't have to, you don't have to know what's going on in Iraq or Moscow right now, do you? Because we know it in our own relationships. We know it in our business relationships. We know it in all of our relationships. There's conflict. We're not at peace. There is no fullness of shalom. I can get the first fruits of that shalom. I can have peace with Him. And I can experience a measure of peace with those that I am with and have fellowship with. But here's the thing. God glorifies Himself precisely by bestowing this peace. Those, these, these phrases are connected. They're not just disconnected, discombobulated sort of statements. But glory to God precisely because He's giving peace. Here comes the tough phrase. Variously translated, different different translations. There's some that kind of give the idea that it's it's like for everybody, but not necessarily. 
upon those, make sure I get it right, with whom he has pleased. And I think the ESV has probably one of the better translations of this idea of what is going on there. It is talking about the reality that God does not give out peace willy-nilly, just like this blank, everybody, all, you know, just like hide-and-seek, ollie-ollie, oxen-free. Okay, everyone just come in, you know. Those with whom He is pleased. This phrase should remind us of somebody like Noah. This is about sovereign Grace. God choosing to bestow His peace upon particular people. Because apart from that, nobody would accept peace. Think about the Middle East for a second. We see all the coexist signs and all this stuff. It seems so easy. Why can't they just get over it, man, and just be at peace? That's not the way the human heart works. We can't just get over it. There's something within us that cries out for justice and righteousness. And both sides going on, you know, that's just one conflict. Both sides in the Middle East have this sense that they have been wronged and the other side needs to pay. There's no little magic wand. Let's just get along. That doesn't happen. Unless God comes and changes a person, they'll never receive the terms of peace, which are repentant and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hard news of this. There's some hard news here. And it's just like the shepherds. We're just like the shepherds. We're undeserving. We're unclean. Doesn't mean, okay, I don't, you know, I didn't think you showered today, but it's the idea that sin pollutes us. And all of us have partaken of that. We're all dirty in God's sight apart from the work of Jesus. And so the angel declares who God is going, that God is going to get glory for himself through saving sinners. Wow. I thought I was going to be short today. The second part is much shorter. Trust me. And that's the response. So here's this great news of what God has proclaimed. Here's the response. Give God glory for abundant grace. These simple shepherds just have this this giant theological bomb dropped on them. Okay. Now, if they were good Presbyterians... What they would do is they would form a committee to meet and discuss and debate what this really means. And thank God they're not good Presbyterians. Okay? That's all in jest. They, yeah, but they don't sit there and debate amongst themselves. They, it says, they went with haste. And that's the same phrase that is used of Mary when she hears that she's going to have a baby and Elizabeth is already six months pregnant. She makes haste to visit Elizabeth. She was a woman on a mission and so are these shepherds. Well, they're men on a mission. Okay? We've heard this, we've got the sign, we know what's, we know what we're looking for, and they go to find it. They didn't waste any time. They want to investigate the claims. 
as I read this, I was thinking about the Great Awakening. And there's one story that, that, that you read in the Great Awakening, and that's of a farmer who heard that George Whitfield was a few towns over. Okay? For some reason, I can't remember whether it's 14 years or 25 years, and it's been kind of a busy week for me. So whichever way, he didn't have a car to hop in and drive. He was in the middle of the field. He didn't even want to go back and get his horse. He ran all the way to the town that he might hear the good news about Jesus Christ from George Whitfield. Have you ever wanted something that much that you would do something that crazy and weird? That's what these guys did. They left the sheep in the field at night. When do the coyotes come out? Huh? Mostly nighttime. There's a few wandering around during the day, but most of them are out at night. The mountain lions, usually they're running around at night. You'll see, you might see one during the day, but they like to hunt at night. A lot of dangerous things at night, and they left the flock because this was that important. They made haste. And they actually did find Mary. They actually did find Joseph. And they actually did find Jesus. And they talked with the parents, which is how we now know this, because Luke, when he was in Jerusalem, and Paul, who he was traveling with, got thrown in jail. He hung out with some of the Christians, and he probably, if Mary was still alive, he hung out with Mary, and he heard these stories. So we, we know what happened here. It says that they treasured these things in their hearts. But this... Again, have you investigated the claims of Christ, or are you just kind of accepting them on face value? Well, I grew up this way. They investigated. Their faith, so to speak, sought understanding. They went and sought it to you. After that, they start to make known what ha- what happened. It means, you know, they don't just go home silently. But as they're leaving the town, they're telling everybody they meet about what they've ex- what they have heard, what they saw, who they met. They revealed it to other people. They're spreading this good news that was so good they couldn't keep it to themselves. Okay? It's like referrals. If you got a bad hairdo, would you refer your friend to that barber or hairstylist? No. But would you take delight in something? When you have, you go to a restaurant and you have the best pizza that you've ever had, don't you tell someone? Dude, you tell your friends, dude, you gotta go to the pizza place. Okay? Or, some of you like movies. I just saw the best movie in the whole world. You should go see it. And I haven't. Not really. So, um, Not recently. So I have nothing to recommend to you today. But the idea of recommending. You only recommend something if you delight in it. If it's meaningful for you. If, if it's significant for you. My wife likes to talk about our new water system. You can talk to her if you want to. That's, a, that's good enough for me. Okay? They spread the news. 
Do you make the good news known to people who need it? If not, love them. See, that's what you do. I love you enough to tell you about the pizza place. I want you to have the same joy, the same glory and wonder and pizza that I had. That's why, that's what we do all the time on Facebook, right? Not pizza, obviously. Well, sometimes we do. We check in. But you know, this is a cool song. I'm going to put the YouTube link on Facebook. We're sharing what we love with others. Same concept. It's all it is. Third thing they did. They left glorifying and praising God. They ascribed glory to God for His great deeds. It's not making God glorious. It's not making stuff up about it. But you're you're ascribing to Him that which He is. You're you're, kind of like, you know, if I'm praising my wife, I'm not going to make stuff up. You know, uh, right now I can't make anything up. So that's a good thing. Okay? So, you know, and, and I don't say this stuff enough. So it's a good thing she's not here. She won't think. She's just, he's just doing it for them. Um, you know, that was a great meal, honey. Okay? Not making it up. It really was a good meal. Or if any of you know Amy, Amy, you like the house neat and clean. You're a very clean, good housekeeping person. I'm ascribing to her glory that she already possesses. But that's what all they're doing. They're recognizing his glory and expressing it publicly because they feel it privately. Okay, here's here's this idea from Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. And the first part, delighting yourself in the Lord. John Piper says that worship is basically adoration. And we adore only what delights us. Worship is... Not exclusively, but primarily meant to be joyful, not because we got the warm fuzzies from the music, but because we delight in God and what He's done for us. And we are moved from our inmost being to express it out of our mouths. We only adore what delights us. These guys are delighted by what God has done. They delighted in God for His great deeds. Do we? Or have we gone used to His great deeds and not filled with the wonder, the majesty of it all? So Christmas is not this quaint little story about a baby. Or not just that. It is about God entering creation to bring salvation, to bring peace to people who are marked by conflict. And yeah, Bono, (laughs) the earth still struggles with hatred and selfishness. Because what Jesus started has not been brought to completion. But you and I who believe this message, we need to live in the reality of that peace that was purchased for us. 
But we also have to recognize that he has granted us this responsibility to offer that peace to those who are in conflict, who are in fear, and who are living in hatred. But you're not going to share it if you don't delight in it. Let's pray. Father, um, strike us anew with the wonder of the news. That we might uh, delight in what you have done and that we might delight in you. And we might delight in all the benefits you give us because of Jesus Christ. And in so delighting, we will worship you more fervently and we will share this good news with people more regularly. Overwhelm us with the greatness of the good news. Fan that flame that's already there by your Holy Spirit. That we might be more fervent. We ask this in Christ's name, for His glory. Amen.